I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. This is Ben Lee. Welcome back to On the Future of Being a Musician. My interview for this episode is with someone who reached out to me, Eliza Hull, who's a musician, a disability advocate, and a writer from Australia. Uh, she heard some of the earlier episodes and was really into them and said if I ever wanted to chat about accessibility in the music industry, that she'd love to be part of that conversation. So she's a disabled musician and a really big advocate in the space. She's consulted with APRA, Music Victoria, Arias, and has spoken at Great Escape, South by Southwest, Big Sound, and is just working really hard on trying to get the subject of accessibility and music by people with disabilities to become more of a mainstream conversation. She's written for a Double J and Music Network and stuff, but I was just really happy to get to dive in a little bit and hear what she had to say. So uh, here we go. This is my chat with Eliza Hull. Eliza, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, I was so happy to get your email a few weeks ago. Sorry for all the delays and rescheduling. It's, you know, we're, this is a podcast about the chaos of the music business, of which, you know, I, I, <laughs> I am a victim in many ways. But you you reached out particularly because you had an interesting perspective on changes that you're working on within the music business that really resonated with me. You were talking about accessibility and that's something that my dad was really passionate about. He was on um, Waverly Council, you know, which is like Eastern Suburbs, like Bondi Beach and stuff. And he was in the generation, the 80s of like beginning to put ramps uh, around the beach and in movie theaters and hearing loops. And so it's a conversation I sort of grew up with, but I haven't been exposed to much of that conversation being extended into the music business. So I was just really excited to check in with you and hear about how you came to be an activist in this sense. Yeah, well, I feel like the reason that you might not have heard about accessibility in the music industry is because for too long the barriers have been too big and uh, representation is too low. And um, I guess for me, I've had my disability since I was five years old. And uh, I started falling over at school and mum and dad didn't know why. So it's lots of hospital appointments and um, lots of surgery. And throughout school, I was uh, a wheelchair user on and off. And 
soon as I hit 17 going on 18, it was like I'm out of here because I was growing up in regional uh, Aubrey-Wodonga. There wasn't much happening there for music. Uh, so I moved to Melbourne and, and pursued a music career, uh, you know, joined a rock band first and then uh, became an MC doing, you know, rap and freestyle with DJs and then um, in 2012 uh, launched my, actually that's not true, is it? 2000, sorry, I might repeat that. Yeah, I think it was around then. Um, yeah, 2012, that's right. Sorry. I launched, uh, I guess, my solo career and put out my first record. And so I'm now I'm releasing my fifth record. Uh, and when I first moved to Melbourne, I just didn't ever think to disclose that I had a disability. And um, even now, statistically, over you know two thirds of musicians that have a disability won't disclose it to a venue they play at, uh, a festival, a record label, a publisher. So for me, I just spent all of those years um, not walking in front of people, which was a very very hard thing to do because I would just make sure that I was sitting down. If I met somebody at a cafe. If I ever went to visit my publisher, I would um, buzz a different doorbell um, at their office and uh, make sure that it wasn't my publisher that answered it, make sure that it was another office so that I could um, discreetly pull myself up the stairs um, because it does, it's, you know, impossible for me to get upstairs if there's no railing. But if there's railing, then it takes a long time and I have to pull myself up and, even my booking agent didn't know that I had a disability. And I guess because opportunities in the music industry are, are hard to come by and it was my passion and something that I really wanted to do. I've been singing since I was five years old and I guess I felt like if I disclosed that I had a disability, it would just add another complexity in the mix when the industry is already so complex anyway and hard. I'm so intrigued by, you know, you're talking about living essentially closeted. At the beginning stages of a music career, it's incredibly intimate with the people that, you know, when you talk about sharing vans and hotel rooms, and it, surely you weren't able to keep it a secret from fellow musicians. No, so fellow musicians knew and okay. they would um, lift me up onto the stage um, often I'd pull the curtain and get them to, I'd either go on as a piggyback ride, um, get up onto the stage or they'd lift me up. Um, but often I would have to sit, you know, downstairs while my band mates were upstairs, you know, backstage. Um, I'd have to just sit out and, and not be part of it. Um, but my bandmates were, you know, really supportive, um, of I guess my decision not to talk about it um, but also wanting to help me get to a place where I felt safe enough to disclose it and it was actually one of my band members that was like actually this is really a chance for you to be yourself and it was due to Dylan Alcott. He um, he runs a, a festival called Ability Festival um, He's a, a Paralympian here in Australia and a music lover. And my sister actually reached out to him, you know, on Instagram and said, um, my sister is a, a disabled artist and she'd love to play on your festival. 
and he then reached out and said, I had no idea that you have a disability. He'd, he'd heard of my music before. And it was then that my bandmate said, okay, now is your time. Now is your time to actually speak about it. Wow, that's so fascinating. So did you encounter other musicians that were more visibly disabled during that period? Yeah, I just wondered what that was like for you. Yeah, I think that, you know, not really. And I, I don't think that that's because um, disabled musicians don't exist. And now that I am, you know, stepping out into more of an advocacy role and speaking about disability and accessibility, I, I mean, I have a playlist online that is full of disabled musicians and um, we exist, that's for sure. Mm. And, like, statistically we're actually disabled people are twice as likely to make art and music. So I think that the issue is that during that time when I was hiding, I think a lot of other people weren't, were either hiding or not getting that exposure. And that's because, you know, physically we can't often get into venues, but also we're not being billed on festival spots. Mm. We're not uh, being, you know, given the opportunity to play venues and often they're just too inaccessible uh radio stations i guess are now moving towards playing disabled artists on international day of people with disability so that's december 3rd worldwide uh often i'll get an email coming through from uh radio saying can you suggest artists that we can play and i would really love if that was just you know fed throughout the year that it's not just one day because there are just so many incredible disabled artists out there that just aren't getting that recognition, mm. aren't being represented. And, I mean, I remember when I was 15 years old uh, and I was sitting around watching Killing Heidi win an aria. They were my favourite band at the time. And it's still a great, great act. And I just remember watching them win the award and go up multiple staircases to reach the award and just very vividly saying to myself I that's not for me because I can't get up onto that stage and so I've been really pushing that award shows like the Arias have a ramp up onto the stage uh, even if a disabled artist is nominated or not because when you're broadcasting out to a country, you have so many emerging young disabled artists watching that and and feeling like that's not an inclusive space for me. Mm. That's not a space I'm going to be able to get up onto that stage. And that also feeds into, you know, having an Auslan interpreter for people that are deaf or having, you know, an image description for people that are blind. Uh, if we have those uh, ex- accessibility part of ingrained in the music industry uh i i know that the the barriers will be removed but also that we'll see more disabled artists come forward and hopefully win an aria one day the attitudes towards making say venues or stages accessible to disabled artists does it follow through that the venues themselves were not accessible to disabled audience members or was there sort of a double standard with that? I think we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, more accessibility being added for audience um, predominantly, which is also just so incredible. I think that then will ultimately feed into venues being more accessible for disabled artists. 
uh, it's just that stages, uh, you know, stages are, are often high up and often don't have ramps. And unfortunately, ramps can be very costly for a venue, especially when we're in a time that, uh, you know, audience numbers aren't as high, venues are struggling, we're, you know, in a, a COVID world where venues are not often not prioritising accessibility. Mm. And, and we'll often say that, you know, to me, why, why would we get a ramp when we're not seeing any need for it? Mm. But the issue is we're not seeing any need for it because it's not available. And so, therefore, a disabled artist can't play in your venue. Right. So when you first made that leap into advocacy, how did you find the confidence to, because I think that's something that a lot of people who, in all, in all realms of society, people that when they tackle activism, they feel what makes them entitled to speak up with their voice, mm. how they find that confidence to do it? Uh, it's a good question. Um, sometimes I don't feel confident. I think that's important to say. Um, sometimes it still feels really scary. Um, but I think I just, I think I got burnt really, if I'm really honest. I think that I, I, I know what it feels like to be stared at, to be pointed at, to be laughed at, to not be able to get into a venue, to feel like you have to hide who you are, um, to be, you know, to walk into a venue and, and somebody in the venue talked to, to your partner or your friend instead of you, you know, say, does she need a chair? instead of just asking me. Um, so I guess I've faced those negative attitudes and I, I know what it feels like to face those barriers in an industry that I love and adore. Like music is such, um, it's been really such a huge part of my life. It's enabled me to make such great friends, to express myself, be creative, uh, it's added so much to my life. And I guess, you know, those two things, seeing how they coexist is what really sparks my passion. And, and I think it's given me purpose mm. as well just to see. And, and I guess also I've seen change start to happen as well. Like I think it would be really hard if I was just constantly pu pushing up a, a giant rock and not seeing it tumble down the hill. I am seeing the changes happen organizations and um you know music events are starting to think about it we are seeing Auslan interpreters and um you know asl american sign language and british sign language on uh you know worldwide stages now uh yeah just you know we, we just still got that bit far to go that i'm really passionate about seeing what can happen if we you know truly uh, ingrain disabled musical artists on radio, on our TV screens, because it, yeah, because I know how talented so many musicians with disability are, and I know how big the stigma is. Like I um, recently at at Big Sound when I was there to talk about accessibility, I told um, a record label executive I was just talking about my music. I was sitting there, and then. I said, oh, and I'm disabled. Like I, I walk differently and I fall over a lot. And it, it can sometimes just be that subtle, oh, okay, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like that real like and then move away. Oh, Doesn't want okay. to engage, engage anymore. And I think that that's, that's what I want to change. Mm. I want to change the way that 
because people have these misconceptions about being disabled and even being a deaf musician. There's an incredible deaf uh, artist in England. Um, he's got, you know, he's quite, he sounds kind of like the Beatles actually, in my opinion. He's just got such a beautiful voice um, and he's such a great songwriter and he says because he's deaf, there's just this stigma and misconception that how could he be an artist that is, that is deaf? How can he make music if he's deaf? Um, so I think that, yeah, these are the, the misconceptions and stereotypes that I'm really passionate about. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So in terms of creating a more accessible experience for musicians and for the audience, are these changes that get made through voluntary cooperation of venues and promoters and festival people throwing festivals or is it policy that actually needs to be developed and what's the path for those changes yeah it's real that's a, such a tricky question because i feel like um quote quotas i guess can feel kind of tokenistic can't they but in a way my opinion is that we need to um implement some sort of quota or policy in regards to disabled people there's a a charter that exists in the UK uh, through Attitude is Everything and it actually gives venues at like a star rating if you are accessible and venues are kind of fighting for this star that they really want their venue to be to be accessible for artists and audience and I think Australia needs to follow definitely and other countries need to follow um, to, yeah, really implement that that idea that we really need to make change here so that audience can uh, appreciate music and artists can get up onto the stage, artists can be part of the music industry. I'd also just like really like to see a lot of, you know, major events will often get an award for a disabled artist and hopefully one day we don't need that award. Hopefully um, disabled artists like other minorities, are just ingrained in society and ingrained in our music industry. That's my hope. Are there countries uh, or are there examples around the world that you've seen that you'd like Australia to follow suit with? I think America right now, uh, there's an artist called Lauchi. She's a blind musician. She started a coalition called Ramped, which is spelled R-A-M-P-D, uh, it is a worldwide coalition that brings musicians that are disabled from all around the world together who are, you know, either just making incredible music or making music and, and advocates as well. And um, basically it's like a hub that brings people together and shares opportunities. 
Um, they're, they're also, Lauchi is working with another artist called Galen Lee, who's another American artist. Um, she's a wheelchair user and short-statured and um, they're just like on fire right now. So they have advocated for the Grammys to have, have a ramp up onto the stage. Amazing. Um, have they got that? Yeah. Have they got that? And, yeah, they've got they've that. Done yeah. that. They've, they've done that. They've got it. Inter- okay. Amazing. They've done it. Cool. Yeah. They had interpreters on the red carpet, uh, interpreters on stage as well, uh, speaking ASL, so American Sign Language. Unfortunately, the American Sign Language wasn't broadcast out on TV. Oh, really? Huh. Uh, no, it was only broad uh, shown to the audience that was in the room. So that's another step that they're wanting to implement. Um, they had someone uh, doing live captioning as well and uh, someone doing audio description for people that are blind. Um, but I think Lauchi is wanting and Galen Lee are wanting uh, for the presenters to come out on the stage and do just a quick image description of who they are so that if you are um, somebody that's blind watching the broadcast, you get a sense of who's on stage. Um they're also, yeah, making sure that uh, Netflix, MTV are getting that representation of disabled artists as well, American, mainly American disabled artists. And I'm just seeing like so major support by all of those big companies over there. But it seems like this could have the ability to, uh, you know, much like streaming transparencies, like it's something that could be quite unifying in the sense it doesn't need to be an overtly political conversation. You know? No, I yeah. think you're right. Like, I think it's, yeah, and I think that, like, who would really want to put a stop to that? Like, yeah, just some, I mean, the only argument is some people don't want to do anything that costs any more money. <laughs> That's and I'm not saying I agree with it, but you you yeah, hear that yeah. a lot within all types of business where unless they're forced to do something, uh, they don't want to exactly. they don't want to pay extra to do anything for a small customer yeah, group, you know. So yeah, I think also people maybe are afraid of getting it wrong as well. Right. Like, how do I do it the right way? How do I speak about disability? Even using the word disabled or disability can be contentious. I know. And, and I was thinking that about people... that when I didn't know if that was the most, uh, is that the most up to date or is it, is there a potpourri of ways people refer to themselves? Well, like a lot of people um, use euphemisms like differently abled or, you know, even able um, and trying to shine a light on the fact that we have abilities as disabled people. Um, but a lot of, I think, you know, most uh, people feel really comfortable now with the word disability and disabled. And, um, you know, in the 80s, I remember growing up and, um, you know, like looking back at that time, realising that I would have been growing up in the 80s and 90s when it was, you know, there were a lot of disability slurs that were used, you know, special, handicapped, a lot of uh, worse words used to describe disabled people. And um, that is why disabled people were fighting for people first language. So, uh, you know, to remind people that we are people, people with disability. And now I think we are shifting into a time where to say you're disabled is a statement of, of, of speaking about the social model of disability, which is that the world is disabling. 
that the fact that I can't get into a venue, the fact that I can't get up the stairs that you've got into your venue, it's not my problem. It's actually the world's, it's a, the built world that has been created. And if there was just an entry level into your venue, that I, w- I would be less disabled by that environment. Mm. And so it's, it's, yeah, talking about the ways that we need to change the world, not the ways that we need to change me. And I think that was like a real oh, moment for me because I was like, I'd always felt like I wanted to be fixed. I always felt like I needed to be fixed to fit in. And when I realised that if we remove the barriers and if the world is actually disabling, it made me realise that it's not, I don't need to be fixed. I'm, I was, you know, I've had my disability since I was five and it's who I am. It's part of me. It's really been, every, you know, it's really what I do now. It's what I speak about. It's who I am. Uh, so it was like a real kind of moment of like, I don't, I don't need to change. The world needs to change. Mm. And, yeah, it's, it was yeah, big aha for me, definitely. I imagine you in your role as an advocate have now gotten to meet lots of younger disabled musicians. As the conversation becomes more mainstream, you must see them growing up in a very different world than the one you grew up, grew up so, in. So, yeah, yeah. How exciting is it? Like, it's just so good. And, um, yeah, there's incredible artists, deaf and disabled artists here in Australia and worldwide that I'm seeing are getting that represent, representation that really has just been so overdue. Uh, as I said, it's still we've still got such a long way to go, but what a great time to live in where you feel like you can really start to be yourself and, and share your music and um, not feel like you have to hide and some of those barriers are starting to be removed. I think it's a really beautiful time. That's amazing. So you seem very optimistic about the, the I actually the, am. This to happen. I, yeah. Well, I, I do believe that I wouldn't have felt like I could have spoken about my disability if the world hadn't started to change. If I hadn't been just living in that world that I was living in, you know, back in, you know, 2000s uh, onwards, um, I would have wanted to keep hiding because there just wasn't any representation. The It was very, very stigmatised to be a disabled and when I started to feel like we were having those conversations and thank goodness for the um, you know disabled people before me that have spoken up about these things because without them I wouldn't have felt like it was I guess safe enough that you know safe is quite a big word but it, it is true safe enough to to disclose who I was and to then speak about uh the things that I want to see shift and change so that emerging disabled artists can come forward. Mm. And are there resources, if, if you're a young disabled musician, uh, are there resources or ways to connect with community and get support? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, here in Australia, we've got an incredible um, online group called the Australian Disability uh, Arts and Music Group. Um, that's mainly on social media channels. Um, I guess, you know, for me, I just feel like it's a, if, if you can feel like you can disclose, you know, being disabled, I think that it's now is a, is a time to do it because, um, we, we really want to hear your music and we really want to hear your story. And, um, I think it's a time that you will feel like you can be more included in, in the music industry. 
Um, other organisations that are doing really well is here in Australia is APRA. Um, they're starting to make real changes. They're making a um, disability-led songwriting component that are, that are going to travel around Australia and represent disabled artists. And then also Attitude is Everything is an incredible organisation in the UK. It's the, one of the biggest that supports disabled artists. And as I was speaking about before, RAMPD, um, which is, yes, yeah, spelled R-A-M-P-D, that's online and you can, you can become a member of that organisation. Amazing. And where can people find you if they want to just follow what you're doing and hear your music and, you know, connect with you? Uh, ElizaHull.com is my website. I'm also on, you know, the social media channels under Eliza Hull as well. Cool. Thank you so much. And thank you for just enlightening me a little bit about this important issue. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.